Today I'm gonna chat with another creative force. Today's guest went on to co-create Nike's Tech Pack collection. Later, he launched Levi's skateboarding collection and became the creative director at Patagonia. In this episode, we go deep and talk about branding, creativity, and business culture. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to talk today with Sonos Global Creative Director, Michael Leon. Michael, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. And usually I like to start from the beginning. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Um, I'm originally from Tampa, Florida, and I grew up in the South between Florida and North Carolina. I was a, a skateboarder growing up, and I think that influenced my um, participation in art and sports and um, my interest in those things and how those things came together for me. And I ended up coming out, coming out to California to go to school when I was 19 to California Institute of the Arts. And I, uh, I studied fine art, um, not graphic design, but I ended up through, through the, just the culture and connectivity of the skateboarding world, um, working in that area early on in my career, doing uh, graphics for skateboards, learning um, how to design clothes, how to build a website, um, all of that sort of thing. Um, after college. Looking at your background, that you worked many years at Patagonia, and their mission is very much the front center of their business strategy and how they do business. Nowadays, we keep hearing a lot about corporate culture, and in your opinion, how important it is to have the culture established, and how do we implement that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the main steps are Firstly, having an authentic origin story, and that doesn't mean that you have to have a um, a story that you know benefits mankind. I think you you're you can have a, a a mission or a conviction that's about you know making lots of money. That's that's fine. But I think I think an origin story that's authentic that starts with a founder in in those cases. Um, and in the tech world, that starts with a, a founding, a founding story, a foundation that is that is authentic and it feel doesn't feel sort of manufactured. Um, and then asking people to sign up for it because they actually believe in it and want to contribute to it. Um, and then beyond that, it's constant attention and making sure it's being fed, making sure you're filling up the gas tank all the time and not just feeding off of it off of the work that someone did a long time ago before you arrived. Um, I think those are the important steps. Now, do you think that customers have been able to separate what really is a brand culture instead of just a marketing push? Absolutely. I think, <clears throat> I think people can just see right through it, you know, and I, and, and things happen so quickly now, I think um, a lot of, the way company get companies get formed now is in what founders and entrepreneurs and engineers are doing are, are they're just finding the holes in between what's already been established and what's been missing and what how our lives need to get hacked to improve everything and i think you know the the life hacks i would call them that are 
that are things that people actually need are, are ultimately going to be more powerful than, you know, another version of something we already have. For you as a professional, when you're working for any company, how important is it for you to really identify with that company? Um, for me, it's, yeah, I'm, that's a really good question. I, I am a, a Kool-Aid drinker. I would say that's why I work in, that's why I've always chosen to work in-house at, at brands, because I feel like for me, I need to work with a brand that I, you know, I need to sort of believe in that mission. And, uh, otherwise it's hard, it's hard for me to get inspired. Um, you know, and I think like for me, that has a lot to do with the people, um, and, how I personally get inspired is from the energy of the team around me and kind of um, feeding off that, contributing a little bit of what I bring to that, and then keeping that momentum going forward. Um, that's, um, yes, yeah, so that is important. What is specific about Sonos that inspire you to join the team? Um, I think I'm just really optimistic about the benefits of technology in general. And I'm also passionate about, um, you know, sonic culture, whether that's um, music, movies, podcasts, etc. Those are things that are important to me personally. So um, I'm, you know, I come from a background in um, like I was saying earlier in sports and design. And I worked my whole career in um, apparel and footwear for the last 20 years. And I felt like for me, a move into tech through music was an opportunity that was just sounded amazing to me. Um, and Sonos was the company that um, gave me that opportunity and was also even prior to that was the one that I sort of believe the one I believe in and still is the one that I believe in. So um, it's important for me to be in that position in order to get inspired. Most recently you have created a partnership with Hey and Sonos is in a position to really pick and choose who they want to collaborate with. I'm very curious to know if Sonos reach out to Hey or the other way around and why Hey? I think we have, you know, at, you know, that started maybe a year and a half ago, that conversation. And I think for us, you know, we see when you look at like home design, for example, there are the material pieces to that, that you, that come to mind, like surfaces, uh, furniture, uh, materials, that sort of thing. And then we think of at Sonos, we think of sound design as like another part of, um, you know, using all five senses to design your living space. And Hey, we felt like was the partner um, on the furniture and accessories design side that would complement, that was the best, that was best to complement Sonos to create that more full experience. Um, so when we first came together, it was at, um, at Salone in Milan, and we created a 3D environment with um, their furniture design, our sound design, 
the experience of Sonos in the space. And um, there were playlists created custom for that space. There was food created for that space. Um, so that like all five senses, all encompassing design um, that to us is kind of like the ultimate expression of interior design or home design. Um, we saw Hay as the best partner for that experience at that time. And that's kind of where the conversation started. That's so funny because I actually remember visiting that place during Salani. Oh, yeah. Talk to us about your role within the company and your daily day responsibilities. Um, well, my role is called Global Creative Director, and um, I am responsible for how the Sonos brand shows up to, you know, out in the world. It's specifically the sort of like skill sets that are on my team are writers, graphic designers, you know, photography, filmmaking. If you think of like what goes into making advertising, a website, content uh, for social media, that sort of thing. It's just sort of, you could call it marketing creative. Um, you could call it brand design. It's everything, all the skills that go into how we show up in the world. As a creative director, what's your main priority right now? What's your, what you focus on? I think what we're always focused on and what is also the, one of the most challenging parts of doing what we do at Sonos is, is communicating this light bulb moment when you realize that Sonos is going to change your relationship with sound and music and um, make it part of your life in a way that it probably should have been before, but wasn't, you know, we have this data that people listen to 80% more music after using their first Sonos product. So that's a pretty serious life hack that we're providing. And the, you know, it's near impossible in a sort of, if you think of like an, a typical advertising headline in a digital ad or a magazine that you might come across, it's near impossible to, to capture everything that Sonos does in that one second that you have with someone. So I think finding ways to communicate, promote um, advocacy, that's a big one for us. And sometimes giving up the idea, the challenge being giving up the idea that we need to tell someone every single thing that's great about Sonos when we first meet them. Because it's, it is near impossible if you're familiar with how Sonos works. It's actually very simple, but it's, an, it's like a sound experience that people are not really familiar with because um, it doesn't exist out there. And there are, except for with Sonos, and when you see a picture of a speaker in an advertisement, there's a lot of baggage connected to seeing a speaker and what you think, your perception of what you think that hardware is going to do. Um, and Sonos just works very differently than your typical hardware company. It really is more of a of a sound experience in your home. So for us, that's constantly what we're trying to drill into and get better at is um, how to communicate that and bring that that light bulb moment or that life-changing experience to um, to be able to communicate that better. And partnerships with other brands is something that you're going to be looking forward to do more? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is a team that that is 100% all they're focused on. So, yes. So, 
hypothetically speaking, let's say I am a, a designer or a brand out there that would love to collaborate with Sonos. What kind of brands are you looking for? Well, I, I think, I mean, to dig into that a little bit, there's a lot of different types of partnerships too. I think there is the type of partnership that results in actually making a product together. And, then, and, and I think that is, you know, there are two we do something for that brand and they do something for us and we complement each other and sort of like complete each other in a certain way. And I think that's what Hay did. And there's also brand partnerships where we, we could do something as simple as showing up with another brand and being the sound experience in that brand's environment or vice versa. Um, they could bring a physical experience of some kind to a sound experience that we provide. And then there is, there's also uh, partners that provide streaming services on Sonos that we can partner with on different types of experiences. And there are artists who make music and podcasts and media that we can collaborate with on actual content. So there's all kinds of different ways um, to do it. And we're absolutely looking at all of them and are very open and interested in a lot of different ways. And especially in, in bringing new ways to think about partnerships. No, you're right. These days, every company is looking for collaboration. Now, a crucial part of a successful company is having the right people on board. Walk me through the process when you're looking to bring someone to work for you. What are the characteristics and traits that you're looking for? Yeah, I think a few things. Diversity is a big one. I, I, that kind of comes to mind first because... I think there is that, there's sort of that myth of the culture fit, you know, that you hear a lot. And that is, that is a little bit of a dangerous territory because it can lead to um, just a lot of like sameness, people who think, more people who think like us. So I think, you know, diversity is a big one. Someone who's going to bring something different or, or challenge our perceptions or, break the mold a little bit is important. And then um, obviously people who are the best at what they do, you know, when you're in a role like mine in creative direction, ultimately your team is going to be a diverse set of skill sets. And uh, you want the people that are going to bring the best of that world and kind of represent that world and own it and inspire the rest of the team with what they're bringing from their sort of, themselves, their peer group, and that the culture of what they do, whether they're a writer or a designer or whatever. And, um, and also to challenge me, you know, like I want to hire people who are often, um, in some case, in a lot of cases, younger than me, and um, that have a lot of energy, and are really going to show up fully firing. And that's also going to challenge me to bring my best. And I definitely want that. So, um, it's a mix of a few of those things. So what can the school system do better to make sure that this young generation of professionals can be successful and have all the tools needed to keep up with all the innovations that's happening on the workforce? That's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, is the skill of teaching people how to work together is something that people don't get taught. You know, there, there are certain things that you, and I speak from experience of having to learn 
that on the job myself. I think you go to school and you learn a skill set. You know, you're ne- you're you're never taught like you know fundamental things early on, like how to survive, um, things like that, and how to grow your own food and and obvious things. Your your whole life, you're 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 put on this track on on how to make money, right? And I think you know part of that, especially when you get into your college years, is about learning. You know, you have landed your technical skill, and you're going to learn everything about how to be the best. Um, at this technical skill. And a lot of what's missed out on is teaching people how to work together. And so you, people end up, you know, being forced to learn this on the job. And you you often see people learning it the hard way, Uh, younger people being frustrated by it, their learning experiences, managers or mentors, not taking the, not stepping up to, to teach people these things. And, um, you know, and that is, you know, things like they don't know how to treat someone with respect or um, they don't know how to share their process and what they're working on to promote transparency. So that's sort of like, you know, cutting through self kind of selfish behavior isn't taught how, as a leader, how to show vulnerability and not uh, act like you have all the answers, which is also something that, you know, people make it all the way through their career, they get into leadership positions, and they still don't know how to, how to say, I don't know, or I don't have all the answers, um, as if that's not a positive thing. And I, you know, I've had to learn some of those things myself, and nobody taught me those things. So I definitely think those are skills that we could do a better job teaching those. On the subject of leadership, uh, what kind of leader are you? I think I'm. I definitely try to take the kind of enabler, coach style as much as I can. I I put a lot of emphasis on on putting the right team together and then having people set up the right way to and making sure that they have the space to do the job that they were hired to do. I do often have an opinion on most everything. So I have to be careful how to, how I assert myself. And I think the longer I do this, the more I'm sort of, I'm continually learning how to, you know, give people the space they need and, and to, to check in with them to, to learn how much is the right amount and, um, you know, lift up the best work and keep that, like I said, keep the right type of energy, um, having, forward momentum and um, to try to be a part of that culture building we talked about. So, you know, taking the right kind of energy and moving it forward and trying to contribute to it. For you personally, what's the most excited part of your job? Like where you get your high in, what's the most challenging part of the job? I mean, the most exciting part is not, for me, it's not about like any sort of you know, business wins or creative awards or anything. It's just, for me, it has to be like a part of a continuum and, you know, what some people call work-life balance for me is I I hope that it's not balancing two polar things, but more of a continuous, what I call, what I call with my wife sometimes just having a good setup basically. And, And that includes everything from, having a comfortable place to live, not a, 
not a huge commute to work, great people to work with, challenging work that I'm excited about doing. And uh, for me, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably losing track of the what you're asking, but I think that's kind of the goal more than more than any one sort of something that would be like a win or an award or something like that. How do you deal with uh, the pressure and how you overcome stress? I don't get stressed by work that much. And I, I, it's funny, I probably get, I have two young kids and they probably stress, I probably get stressed about family stuff a little bit more. Um, I know how it is. I yeah. have two little ones too. I know exactly how it yeah. is. <laughs> so um, it's uh, this, you know, one great thing about, you know, as you know, having a family is that it kind of puts things in perspective for you. So I think in the last, you know, four or five years or so, um, I definitely used to get stressed about work. But I think, you know, if you can remind yourself about what's important, work is not the most important thing. And it, it, I think it just allows you to um, get through some things to, to understand, um, you know, how not to sweat the small stuff. And remember, you know, through experience, you, you, you learn how to, the effect of sleeping on it and things like that. So try not to get stressed. Because you work in a technology company, tell me what are you most excited about your industry or any technology in the next five years? Yeah, I mean that I'm super excited and optimistic about technology. I, I'm definitely not not one of those people that's super suspicious of it. I think there's really great potential there. So I mean there are specific things that I'm excited about. One is um, this what's brewing in healthcare right now, like a revolution in healthcare, especially for me around how we track and sort of own our own medical records throughout our lifetime, which in the U.S. is like, it's very outdated. Like it's really sort of difficult to, especially if you're like me and you've moved around the, the U.S. a lot. And then my wife is English and to for us to kind of like keep track and own our medical records is actually a pretty difficult thing and it shouldn't be in terms of everything else we have access to so i'm excited about everything related to um any sort of hacks that are coming up in in healthcare also um any technology that can make political elections more trusted is welcomed and more secure so that we don't end up in these situations like we've had in the U.S. recently and in other countries. And uh, I think technology has a role to play in that. And then I think for me on the on the kind of more in the area that I work in, I think I'm most excited about the technology that's going to start to enable more continuous experiences with the way that I consume content. Like I was saying, I'm, I'm really into music, podcasts, movies, And I think, you know, because I work in this area and I think about it a lot, I sort of attach one of those to a part of my life or a location right now. Like I, when I'm driving to work, I listen to a, a particular podcast and I, when I get to work, I stop it and I go inside and then, I, then I'm in a different environment where a podcast is not the right type of content for me to consume there. And 
it's all sort of like compartmentalized, especially when it comes to like getting in and out of your car, moving, moving locations. So I think there's like, I think that's just going to get more continuous. So I'm really excited about how that's going to work. The thing that's fascinating is that for years, everybody was focused in imagery and video for content and podcasts just out of nowhere kind of blow up. It's been around for a long time, but now it's more popular than ever. But, you know, the more I think about it is as soon as the autonomous cars are taking over the streets and they're all over the place, we will stop listening to podcasts while driving. We're going to start watching more videos again. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's true. I mean, I know, it, I mean, I could be wrong, but eventually we're going to have to move this format to more a visual part of it, because if you don't need to pay attention to the road, you're going to be paying attention to something else. Yeah, it's true. I remember being in school in the early 90s and people talking about, you know, what was coming with, or maybe this was the mid 90s, but was coming with screens and mobile and everything. And people saying no one's going to watch a movie on a small screen, like a phone screen. So, you know, I think you can just like throw any perceptions you have out the window. It's just like everything's possible. Yeah, it's a fair game. Is that a trend that you wish would go away? That's a good question. Um, one that I think about a lot that I don't participate in, but I see it a lot on social media that I think is, you know, it's good and bad. It's, and it's maybe like a politically touchy area, but I, the, the culture of outrage that fuels um, every issue being polarized, you know, and I, something comes up things that are worth shouting about get shouted about. And I think that's great. But I also think that some things are more complicated than just being right or wrong. And we need better ways to talk about them than just posting absolutes in, in social channels that are maybe not designed to have real discussions, you know, like people can't have real discussions in the comments of social media posts. Like that's, it just seems to me like there's got to be better ways for us to talk to each other, even when there are issues that we really should be screaming about. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be outraged. I think the trend of like playing out these discussions in the wrong place is kind of what I hope that we'll have answers for. And then, so I don't know less serious, like maybe CrossFit. <laughs> I hope CrossFit goes away. I hope crazy mermaid braids goes away. No, I, I don't know. That's funny. Now, this is a question that I ask everybody who works in a creative space. Do you think that creativity is a gift or is a muscle? Can we get better at it? Oh, wow. I'm going to say that I think it's both. Um, I think in measure, in any measure you could you could have a gift, right? And I think, you know, you could think of it in the same terms as like athletic ability. There might be things in your um genes that allow you to be an, a better athlete. That's um you really can't deny that that happens, but I also think that hard work has a part to play in that, you know? So in in any measure I think creativity is, would work the same way as physical activity. And I think the choice to be creative is ultimately going to has the potential to get you to the same place as the gift of creativity. 
and and the the gift of creativity has every opportunity to fail if it's not cultivated by the will to be creative. So I think I, I think my answer is is both. Do you believe that you can fail as a creative person, or or no? Uh, it's just almost like art. What what is truly creativity? Yeah. Well, I think you have to you have to create an individual measure of, of success or failure, right? Like I think in order to gauge success or failure, you, there has to be some measure of that, right? Like, so that what I do think to try to answer your question is that it's up to the individual to, to define what their, you know, measure of success or failure is. And I think, you know, where it, where it might be outside of measurement is where if someone does believe that they have a creative gift and they don't use it, I could see that being an unmeasured failure. But otherwise, I I I think it's really up to the individual, and and so it's not a in that way, it's not a science. I like that. So you're pretty much saying you fail on not acting on your drive to be creative or act on your desire to do something that's that's where you fail but once you take action on or whatever comes from there it's just a different point of view yeah i think once you take action you have to decide what your limits are and what what your goals are and then you know success or failure comes from achieving them or not it, there's no public scale of of creativity what are some of the tips would you give someone who wants to take their creativity to the next level? I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in apprenticeship, learning from people who are better than you, sort of giving yourself over to learning. I think you have to sort of give a period of time over to acknowledging that you are in a learning phase and that you're not going to have all the answers and you're going to allow yourself to fail. I think that period is is you know and that's up to the individual to decide what that means and how long that lasts but i think you know confidence is something that you have to learn a lot about and build because you can fail in a way that ends up stopping you in your tracks um if you fail the wrong way early on so i think apprenticeship and learning is really important i would say getting peers and teachers who you can learn from. This is the part of the podcast where I ask my guests to recommend a book. Do you have one in mind? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I would say, I would say an interesting one to read would be Yvonne Chouinard's "Let My People Go Surfing." Um, Yvonne's the founder of Patagonia, and I think that book is a a sort of a manifesto that he wrote for how for the values of his company and how he came to be what he calls a reluctant businessman. It's really impressive. And it's even if, you know, some of its tenants are, are now very difficult for a billion dollar company to uphold and also continue to grow. So it's, it's, it's also really interesting in that respect, but you know, on what's another thing that's interesting about it is if you think about, you know, a founder driven culture and having the founder like publish a manifesto like that. And then if you, you know, I sort of wonder if like the Facebooks, Amazons, Alphabets of the world had to put their values down in a book like that. What would their let my people go surfing look like, you know? And I, so I think it sets a bar 
that you can hold founders up to. And in that way, it is an important book. So that's one that if you haven't read that book, I would say you should check that out. I love it. Love it. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Now, do me a favor. Tell everybody who's listening how they can find out more about Sonos or even more find out more about you if you're on social media or anything like that. I think one of the best places to find out about Sonos is Sonos.com. I think if you want to learn the basics about how it works, I, I would encourage you to be open to thinking about like an audio experience in your home that is different than what you'd expect from just buying speakers. And if you love music it's and movies, um, it's really going to change the way you are able to consume those and just make it a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable. So um, go to Sonos.com, learn about that. And I think, um, yeah, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Leon. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, everyone, make sure to like, comment, and let us know what you think. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.